On this episode of Riding the 3x3, Patrick Fetch and I discuss all things NBA Final Week. Look at the storylines we are eyeing, including the final scoring matchup for the title between Bradley Beal and Stephen Curry. Then we dive into lane number two with the Dodgers in the doldrums, losers of 15 of their past 20 games. They've lost a lot of series in a row for the first time since 2017. And then lane number three, we discuss all things DK Metcalf running at the 100-meter dash, trying to test his speed in the track and field ranks. And we close out with the Eric Fisher signing by the Indianapolis Colts. They have solidified their offensive line in the first year of Carson Wentz. Is it enough for them to overtake the powers that be in the AFC South? We have all that covered in this episode of Riding the 3x3. You can catch us on Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review. Give us five stars. Let's get into lane number one. Riding the 3 by 3 Monday, May 10th edition here on, uh, on StreamYard, live on Facebook, Twitter, and of course going to be in podcast form very shortly, but I'm joined by host pat fetch had an action-packed weekend we had scandals galore we had some debuts we had some uh some peds from horses we'll get that out of the way first how will we start with that pat the kentucky derby champion medina spirit gets hopped lance armstrong style for a little inflammatory drug and now uh the the entire balance of horse racing seems to be up in the air pat I know that we all already paid our bookies, but can I get a refund on that one? I mean, I think that is uh, an unfair win. We got to give everybody their money back, Medina Spirit. As a matter of fact, give Good Luck Charlie the win. I think he should get he should, all of his betters should not get the money because uh, that specifically is, Good Luck Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, that is despicable action by that horse. To think that that horse would willingly do something like that is just. Um, it's beside me that that is something we've allowed in this day and age. So I'm all for whatever retribution, whatever discipline to uh, Medina Spirit, who never has to race again, I assume. Uh, just live well, out. You know, he's, he's, he's in their field, Pat. He's, he's in there in the Preakness this week. So he's going to be, oh, he? he's going to be the scan. The scandal is going to be live on the track as we watch it play out in real time. But we're also watching the NBA season play out in real time. We're hitting that in lane number one, our, uh, our final week storyline that we're kind of piquing our interest with and our, uh, our overarching thoughts on this weird, weird six-month stretch of NBA basketball, closing out the 2020 regular season. Lane number two, we have a lot of uh, MLB action to touch on, minor league and major league, looking at the Dodgers, rough stretch over the past couple weeks after starting off red hot. And then Hunter Green, once thought of the most electric pitching prospect in all the land, has gone through a little bit of injury issues, but he was back on the mound last week throwing gas. We're going to touch on that as well. And then lane number three, closing up shop with Tim Tebow, back with his old coach, Erwin Meyer in Jacksonville. They really did it, people, bringing him into camp, signed him to a contract. And then we got another contract signing. This one, I think, going to be more impactful overall on the actual AFC South race. That is Eric Fisher going to the Indianapolis Colts at the left tackle position. But, Pat, we're starting in the NBA, and I'll go ahead and toss out my number one storyline. We looked at the play-in last week, and uh, the standings kind of shaking out where they are. Not a whole lot of uh, movement, so to say, in each play-in race, but we're going to keep monitoring that and definitely key in on what that's looking like on Thursday. Individually, though, 
I'm liking this scoring title race. That's my number one storyline going into this week. We got Stephen Curry and the Warriors battling tonight against the Utah Jazz. Unfortunately, Bradley Beal ruled out over the next two games with a hamstring strain that he suffered, I believe, a couple nights ago against Indiana. But Curry averaging 31.9 points per game right now, Pat. Beal at 31.4. And over the course of the season, it thought, especially in February, this looked like a game set match for Bradley Beal, hovering around 35 points per game. Curry starting or was still getting his feet underneath him, hadn't quite got nuclear mode, sitting there at about 26, 27. But they've evened up as the months have gone along. And now over this final race, for the first time in about basically six, seven years, we're going to get a true individual scoring title uh, final finish type of result in the last week of the season. A beautiful thing too. Steph Curry fan over here. So it has been absolutely amazing to see the the miniature renaissance that we gotten from Steph, especially after the nightmare nightmare that was the other season, the last season for the Warriors. When you originally posed the question to me, you asked, what was I going to remember about this NBA season? And like quite frankly, not a lot, Russ. It's been a well, and your storyline. What's your favorite storyline the final week? What do you Yeah, at? so oh my favorite storyline for the final week. It's definitely the Knicks. I'm just so fascinated by the New York Knicks. And maybe this is Can a they hold on to that four seed? Yeah, a little bit of anticipation going into the playoffs is just I think that's the most fun team, fun story going into the playoffs. Just another huge new, Randall game on Sunday, man. Oof. Yeah, not a lot of people expected it. They had a huge win against the Clippers. They were sending double teams with Paul George and Kawhi at uh Julius Randall. That was hilarious to see. So the type of uh authority that he is uh that he has right now on the court is just incredibly impressive so i have to go with the knicks because everything out is shaken for the most part the only other thing i'm looking for is the uh portland trailblazers we talked about this a few weeks ago our man on twitter who uh he bet his whole house on them getting over, over. Yeah, and, a half. over. <laughs> and they're they had to win three of their last four i think to to clinch that guy's bet but what an absolute stretch they've gone on. Winning seven of their last three. They've had a couple winning streaks in there to save this guy's house. So those might be the two storylines I'm looking at. But other than that, they've I had mean, to, too, because they're only what a game, they're only a game up on this on the Lakers. That's a huge that would yeah. that'll probably be my second big storyline. That seven seed, who ends up being that team that has to face off against the red hot curry. You read my mind. I was going right in that direction with the Blazers, uh, coupled with that Lakers sort of matchup that is going on. If the Blazers can hold off the Lakers, I think that will cause incredible theater in that first four game, whatever we want to call it, the play-in game for uh, for the Western Conference. Seeing LeBron and AD, even though it's going to be uh, probably an easy win and not a huge matchup for him, I think will just be hilarious, great theater, great drama for the NBA. I'm definitely rooting for the Lakers to fall into that playing game. So that's probably easily my number one focus storyline. How are you actually, feeling about the Lakers? About Coming off of last night, LeBron projected to be back Thursday or Wednesday against the Spurs. AD had the first ever, I believe it was, 40 10 Five, three, and three performance in Laker history. He was all over the floor last night. Pat had a alley oop dunk to close the game. That honestly, I felt in my soul. It scared me deeply. The the, the primal roar Anthony Davis let out, and also he got nicked up a little bit, but didn't bitch and moan, didn't cry wah 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 like Anthony Davis has done before. He might be starting to feel like. The time is now. I have to take a little bit of this baton, especially when we're staring the play-in in the face. And as a champion, the reigning champ, that is, we don't want to be in that position having to fight for our lives in a one-two-game playoff. 
didn't LeBron fall into this sort of thing last year where he was trying to act like it was Anthony Davis's team and he was had to like be a second? Yeah, fiddle he, he talked about how they had to eventually hand over the torch, but I, that hasn't happened yet. Obviously, we haven't seen it. He, well, I think organically it, be handed over in terms of it, LeBron tapering off and AD uh, ascending to that number one role. I think this is where we're going to have to see it. Maybe if LeBron is gets to 100% healthy, but he's been off the court for so long, having some nagging injuries that we've really never seen LeBron deal with. And so longest absence, if, we longest amount of, or to, the biggest amount of games we've ever seen LeBron miss in a season. So going to the playoffs, Anthony Davis is going to be have he's going to have to be the alpha on that basketball team. He's going to have to lead them in pretty much every direction, both offensively and defensively. So I think this could definitely be a major challenge to see how a LeBron team looks with him no longer being the dominant player on the court. And even though he's probably capable of still being the best player in the world, it's going to take him just a little bit to get reacclimated to the league, reacclimated to his body, feeling healthy again, getting that shot down. So if the Lakers are going to be for real, it's going to be because Anthony Davis leads them to the promised land and does it all himself for the most part, at least to start. It'll be interesting what LeBron can muster up going uh, late into this playoff run. I do fully expect them to be there, you know, at least a long series in the in the Western semifinals. Definitely expect to see them in the Western finals, but uh, it, it will be. We a, but we don't know. Like, what does LeBron's ankle look like? If he can't manage the pain, then it's just like that. That was the issue they ran into a couple of days ago, where he just he couldn't manage the pain. It's the high ankle sprain. And Woj came out, I think, earlier today on uh, on on Tuesday or Monday and said that LeBron's not going to be 100% at all the rest of the season with this injury. So that's that's where it's like I never I'm never I've never been that guy to doubt LeBron going into a playoff stretch because he has not missed the finals in any playoffs he's entered over the past decade. So that's just a thing that's been happening, but it that's all been a healthy LeBron. That has not been a hobble LeBron with a high ankle sprain that is a is a very gnarly gnarly injury. So Pat, we're looking at those storylines for the final week of the year and I'm with you on this overall regular season. There wasn't a lot to gauge from it. I don't think there was a lot to take away. The scoring numbers were crazy. Guys that care about defense. And the overarching theme I, I'm probably going to take from this regular season was the uh, the Thunder Tank, which I have right here, a great staff from uh, ESPN, SNI, uh, and Royce Young. The Thunder have been outscored, Pat, by 490 points in their last 25 games. The worst margin of defeat by any team in any 25-game span in the league's history. Previous worst stretch was 92-93 Dallas Mavericks, 489 points. Barely skimmed them over right there. They went 11-71 and that season. So as soon as Sam Presti realized, my oh my, I've assembled even like I didn't even think I could do it, but too good of a team after I tried to tank a year ago, he was like, nope, Al Horford, gone. SGA, yeah you have a foot injury and don't you say a word about it. And the rest of the team, he's just like, all right, Isaiah Roby, go get your shots up. Pokashevsky, our guy, our guy Poku, go hit that 33% field goal percentage, a beautiful 26% from outside. Chef's kiss, Mark Dagnall. If you saw this man's face last night, Pat, don't ask me why I was watching King's Thunder. Don't ask me why. I was, it, was a, it, was a, it was a pure pure punishment fest. The fact that they could not score 100 points on the worst defense, I'm talking about the Kings here. The, the Thunder couldn't score 100 points on the Kings. The worst defense, Pat, statistically in the league's history, that's where we're at. The worst 25-game stretch in league history by any one team. Tank season is fully on. And even with the excitement 
that the play in tournament brings, which I will give them a, a lot of credit. It has given us a lot of content to talk about, especially over the past couple of weeks. We're still going to have those teams that say, I can't get these superstars. I can't get these free agents. I have to use my assets in the draft. And the best way to do that, especially this season with the top two picks being the most coveted prizes, got to tank, 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 baby. I didn't know anybody on the Thunder other than SGA and Lou Dort. And so pretty much you could have just Dort's too good, dude. They, they've been benching Dort. <laughs> they've been Dorted by Dort. You could probably name their first 10 guys off the bat, you know, on that roster. And I would just have no idea who any of them are. You could have made up names for all I know. That's how out of it. I watch a lot of NBA, Pat. And last night there were, I, I can usually <laughs> recognize most players when they're out there on the floor, but. Some of those guys floating around that Kings Thunder game. It was uh, it was a sight. So that's that's wrapping up what was a interesting regular season in the NBA. I don't know if there's much to gauge from it. We cannot wait to see uh, how we did in the final standings. Look, I did a little uh, individual assessment when I was on the solo pod a couple weeks ago, and I think we're going to be looking pretty good, Pat. I think you and I are hovering right around at least seven teams out of the ten per each conference, but we'll take a look at that. As the uh, as the week wind down, to probably probably next week's show, next week's Monday show, we'll assess all of the uh, predictions from preseason. But rolling into Major League Baseball, a team that everybody predicted preseason to at least run things out west is the Los Angeles Dodgers. Pat, who are five and fifteen in their past twenty games, things have not been going very well. Just got roughed up a little bit in the Angels series. Have now lost, I believe, five consecutive series for the first time since the end of the 2017 season. Is this another classic minor blip in a 162-game marathon? Or are there reasons for concern that you're seeing out of this Dodgers team? Which, give them a little credit, I will give them this, have lost a lot of close games this year, especially ones directly attributed to that new uh, runner on second base rule that you and I do like in the extra innings. That has been funny that the best team in baseball has been probably the biggest victim to that role. You would yeah. think that you would think it would only uh, you know elevate the better teams and make the bad teams worse, giving the great pitching, bullpen pitching that the Dodgers could throw out there, different arms, different looks, how good their hitters are. They should be able to pile on the runs in those scenarios, but it is strange. And the Dodgers have been dealing with a lot of injuries too. Cody Bellinger has been pretty much out of the lineup the entire season so far. You know, Zach McKinstry came up, was playing awesome baseball. He went down and got hurt. They, they haven't been 100% healthy guys in and out of the lineup, but maybe we are the curse of the Los Angeles Dodgers, Russ. We were talking about how they're going to set Major League Baseball records, and they were on pace for it until – we kept bringing it up, and now they can't find a win for them. But thirteen and two to five and fifteen, <laughs> right? I, I'm sure I, I don't have them in front of you. I'm sure the advanced analytics are saying that the Dodgers are a little bit unlucky. I don't know. There's not like a Ken Palm for it, but I'm sure there's a luck stat out there that's associated with the Dodgers that all these one run games. Which I mean, we as Reds fans, we dealt with it just the last year, two years ago. I mean, it is absolutely painful, painful, painful as a fan to watch your team lose the games by one run over and over and over and over again. So I almost feel for the Dodgers, but I certainly do not feel for the Dodgers at all. There have been great, great uh, graphics going on with that, with that division out there. I'm sorry, Pat. I'm sorry. I did it in the middle of your, that was a great soliloquy right there. But as I was looking up interesting Dodgers graphics to put up on the stream, they gave us this gem over the weekend. Look at this. <laughs> this is exactly how the Dodgers' entire franchise has been feeling lately. 
it's described in one one beautiful graphic from Spectrum Sportsnet right there. It's uh, it's been that kind of year, that kind of but year. They, uh, for the Los Angeles Dodgers, that kind of stretch, not necessarily that kind of year, because like we said, thirteen and two start. But yeah, they are uh, they are hanging out. It's it feels to me more like a a classic issue of hitting May, you know, you're not as hungry as last year. You've already gotten this 1988 monkey off the back. The majority of that team returned from 2020 and that World Series champion roster. Plus, haven't they, they've been out without Cody Bellinger. Like what, We've talked about them being the most talented team in baseball, but that's been shipped away over the past 60 days. Yeah. And, and it's just May because- as well. Yeah, yeah. And it's if you look at their statistics and the way they're playing, they still rank in the top five, top 10, definitely in the top half of the league in pretty much every important category. And so they're still playing like a great baseball team. You see their lineup, you watch them play, you know they're a good baseball team. So I do think it's a little bit of that. It is LA guys, right? Warm weather guys out there playing in May probably traveling a little bit too. And they, they do have the target on their back. That's what comes with being world series champions is dudes do want to beat you. So I think those are all some factors. Got some new blood in there with Bauer. I know that he, I saw a interview with him. He was trying to shake up the locker room a little bit. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see how they bounce. Back what do you think about that Bauer being kind of the, the guy that's come forward after this stretch and, and being I, the, the rah, rah guy that has kind of, kind of took the big money bag to go to LA and that was the, the majority reason it felt like to me, he went there as opposed to, Hey, I want to go and actually win a world series title. It felt more, I'm going to go get my biggest paycheck that I can maximize my value. Oh, definitely. Uh, he, he's not an LA guy clearly. Cause I don't think that's the way the rest of the lineup responds. You know, Cody Bellinger is the highest baseball player that's ever played. You know, he's just chilling. Mookie Betts is a pretty <laughs> low key guy. Like Kershaw isn't really a get in your face rah rah type of guy. He's more of a free spirit. So I think that's just Bauer. You know, that's kind of his his he is an LA way guy, literally yeah. though. But the way that his energy is, uh, he's a little bit more of a high strung, intense guy. And I'm not sure the rest of the lineup is not like the Cali that, vibes but... is what you're kind of trying to say. Exactly, exactly. Okay. So I think that's just the way that he operates. That's just the way that he is. And so if that gets his that gets himself pumped, then. Uh, that's what he's going to do. It'll be – I don't think that's what the team needed. Like, I don't think they're playing bad baseball. It's not like they're even below 500. They're just not the best team in baseball like we expected them to. So, I think just around the corner, you catch them in the middle of the summer, they're going to be absolutely rolling over teams, especially when teams – right now, I mean, you look at the, the, the standings, there's no divisions that are really separated by more than, like, five, six games. You, there's pretty much 90% There's of the real parity. This year, yeah. what two years ago we had four teams over 100 wins and four teams under 60. We had the Tigers under 50, and there was all these cries about where's the parity, where's the parity. So far this year, maybe it has something to do with that extra inning rule I brought up at the beginning. Some of these different little tweaks here and there, but there has been parity. It's been the closest kind of across the board division race we've seen this far into the season in a long time. And it's awesome to see. I think. Teams feel alive. They're playing harder. Maybe they see this as just like one of those years they can pounce on teams. After the weird COVID year, sort of like another weird spring break, fans, just get hot early and put yourself in position to make that run. And 
pretty much every team in Major League Baseball has done that. As a Reds fan, I'm not panicked as a game under 500 because you look and we're still right there. We're within arm's reach. We're a series away from getting right back on top of the division. So most teams have to be feeling that way, have to be feeling pretty good about themselves. And that creates a lot of fight when you know there's still a chance to go out there and, and win games. It doesn't seem to be – and it, honestly, the teams that try to, say, tank are not doing a very good job of it either. The, the Orioles win in some games early. The Red Sox, who are not – John Means. <laughs> the Red Sox, who really were not trying to win at all this year, it seemed like, have been red hot. It, it's been a very, very strange start to the season, but it's been exciting. The parity is exciting. The, the quality of play is exciting. So I'm, I'm all about what's going on in Major League Baseball. Speaking of exciting, Pat, us Reds fans, this was a little, this is a little mm-hmm. like cherry on top that I had to throw in the show for us right here. We got Hunter Green back on the mound in the Reds system. He's pitching for the Chattanooga Lookouts, and we have just a uh, a lot to salivate over this first outing, Pat. As you can see on the screen right here, through thirty seven pitches over hundred miles per hour, most ever by a starter in either minor or major league baseball since the StatCast era began in 2015. We talked about, I think, one of our first uh, real deep chats about the uh, 2021 MLB season, the gas that these pitchers are throwing, the dominance that they're showing on the mound, the no-hitters we've seen so far this year. And Hunter Green, if he can stay healthy after going through Tommy John surgery a couple years ago and missing the majority of the past two years because of the surgery and then the COVID and all this stuff, if he can put that all behind him, and really find that arm talent and control it, then man, oh man, he could be the most dominant guy out of all of them. Like the talent is there, the speed is there, but the velocity is there. Now it's about can he consistently rein that in with that young arm. And you you got the video up right here. What makes you feel really good is just how compact his throw is too. Mm -hmm. He looks like he throws 100 without any effort. If you can maximize the way that his body moves, maximize his legs even more, his shoulder – he could be thrown even harder than this by the time he gets Major League Baseball. Don't be surprised whatsoever. And uh, you, you said he was one of the best pitching prospects we've had you know, pretty much since Strasburg. He was one of the best hitting prospects, too. He was yeah, a shortstop. He, yeah. Yeah. He was a shortstop. People didn't know where to project him. If he went to a different team, he might have very well been trying to play both ways right now or maybe would have been focused on the field. But obviously that the need, the Cincinnati Reds, had at the pitching position when they drafted him was a major influence in him becoming a full-time starting pitcher, probably where he projects better. Cause when you can throw over a hundred miles per hour like this over an extended period of time, it is, uh, it's electric. It's an, a very, very tough thing to hit. Got to be very, very excited for the Reds, not only about Hunter Green, but also Nick Lodolo who are sharing that dugout on that double A team, uh, what is it? The lookouts? Where are the lookouts? Chattanooga lookouts. Look at that combined uh, stat line so far. And uh, they're they're obviously one start, so you gotta gotta tip tip. We gotta we gotta temper down expectations a little bit. But as fans, you love to see that ten innings, one earned run out of the both of them, no walks, and eighteen strikeouts. Man, Pat, if if they could really start funneling in a true pitching pipeline, Nick Bodie, the way he has kind of brought those an- that analytics platform right into the heart of this organization. That's how you build consistent winners, and especially in today's today's baseball, is being able to have dominant pitching. And player development has become so crucial in Major League Baseball anymore. That is how you win as a smaller market team. That's how the Tampa Bay Rays win. That's how the Oakland Athletics win. That's how these small market winning teams do it. They 
they develop players. And whether that's an 18-year-old player out of high school or developing a 25-year-old independent league pitcher into something that actually makes him a major league talent because he's able to focus on what he's actually good at. That's what the Reds need to do is just to value the great assets that their players have. And Hunter Green is going to be a, an awesome example. Just hone in this fastball. Don't make him do too much and let him just learn with his arm. It's going to be a beautiful thing. Hopefully we see Nick Lodolo here soon. I would love to see him sneak into a bullpen role or even get some spot starts when the 40-man roster opens up in Major League Baseball at the end of this season because uh, he's electric and exciting. I think he he is pretty much major league ready whenever whenever the Reds call upon him. Hunter Green, we're you think either of these team. guys gets a shot? I think they might get a shot August. Or Lodolo, Lodolo, I see before Green just because of mm-hmm. the age. Lodolo came out of college. Hunter Green coming off the Tommy John. I'm sure they want him just to basically get comfortable and have an established season. Yeah, that one, makes sense. In one place, I, I can understand wanting to almost. Uh, you know, I guess uh, hurry Nick Lodolo up the way just because he's a lefty, just because he's got the age. David Price esque, give him that experience, even if he starts the next season down in a minor league level again. This year is a little bit complicated with the minor league. So, Triple uh, A is being treated as a quote unquote major league site for a lot of these teams. And so, with that, the COVID testing and COVID regulations are much, much different. So with them being in double A this year, they don't have to get COVID tested every single day. They don't have to do all of these uh, sort of whatever regulations or um, guidelines that it may be Major League Baseball has put forth. However, if you're in AAA, you do have to go through much more of these guidelines. And so I think that is part of the reason that they're keeping them down double A. It's just a more comfortable, relaxed setting. They're not having to worry about all of these other background noises. And so that is that is the... Uh, that is the number one explanation about where they are now and why they might stay there for the remainder of the season. So it's, again, it's not a completely normal season. So don't, don't fret Reds fans. If we don't get to see their beautiful young faces in a Reds uniform sooner than later. Reds matching up against the pirates starting their series tonight. As we said, parody across MLB and not a lot to gauge out of these tight, tight division standings. We'll see how they start to break out as we get into the middle of May Here, a guy that was trying to get into the middle of the track and field action, trying to get in the middle of the track and field Olympic qualifiers, at least in the 100-meter dash, that is, was DK Metcalf, Pat. So all this started back in October where we had the play of the season. I think we deemed that. I deemed it the play of the season right here on this podcast, the DK Metcalf rundown of the Patrick Peterson interception off of Russell Wilson Almost the length of the field, catches the guy from like 20 yards back, just guns him down. One of the best athletes at the NFL level that we have in the league today. And that prompted a little invite from the U.S. Olympic qualifying Twitter account. And they said, why don't you come out, race at one of the uh, the prelim events before the actual qualifiers, which I think are next week. And the, the cutoff was, I believe he had to make 10.1 seconds in the 100-meter dash to get a entry into qualifying and then you got an it was like to get a shot at the next round of qualifying you had to get 10.10 then if you got 10.05 you got an automatic bid well our guy dk metcalf tip of the cap to him he went out there against the best of the best and fell flat in terms of what he wanted to do pat but i wouldn't say he fell flat overall in the actual uh, the actual event 10.36 10.36 seconds in the 100-meter dash. You can see him right here getting set right there. 
in the uh, the second lane from the right. The dude looks like these guys' dads, Pat. He looks huge compared to the rest of this field. He had the burst, I think. He was hovering right around top three, top four in the first 20 meters. But that's what separates these the speed these athletes have from the speed NFL players have is the ability to keep hold of that speed as you decelerate through those final 30, 40 meters. DK didn't quite have that, but I'm, I'm convinced, Pat. If you gave this guy a year, 18 months to really get his form and technique down, he might be able to compete with these guys toe-to-toe. That does look like what happened at the end there. It was just a little bit of fundamentals that DK was lacking versus the rest of the field. Looks like they just know how to finish, right? There's all those nuances to track and field. So much technique, this, yeah. About the start and how you get yourself going and where you want your body positioned and how to get to that top speed and how to maintain that top speed. So it does look like all he's really lacking is just the fundamental at the very end there. I don't think his size is really that big of a, of a difference. I, how big was Usain Bolt? Well, that's the thing. Usain Bolt, Pat, he's just, he was a literal freak of nature built by God. 6'5", 210. And I saw when I was doing a deep dive on this topic a couple of days ago, he ran a 4-2-2-40 at some Super Bowl fan event in whatever the fan event center was like a made up little field that he ran in sweats and like, like gym shoes. And he had to, he had to like slow down at the end to make sure he didn't bust his head on the barrier, like the protective <laughs> barrier that they were having all the, you know, the, the unathletic jabronis run into that wasn't that they weren't going to get hurt at all. And he still tied the NFL record for a 40 yard dash. <laughs> so that's the type of speed we're talking. I, I can agree with you kind of on that, but he's still like, I think Metcalf's 233. And that's still what twenty pounds. That's that can make a massive difference, I think, when we're talking about hundredths of a second separating the best of the best in these hundred meter, two hundred meter dashes. Hey, he's training to be a football player. He's training to. Yeah, take he can't cut twenty pounds in January and February just to <laughs> kind of try to do this fun little like it's track and field. He's not making a bunch of money. <laughs> he's making track and field money. They should be paying Literally. him to come do this. That's why when I saw some people like. Like I saw people try to say, or they, people pointed out on Twitter that there were some track and field snobs saying like, oh, take that DK Metcalf, that showed you. It's like, what are you talking about? They, people <laughs> talk about track and field once every four years at the Olympics. You should be on your hands and knees praying DK Metcalf does this again and bring some friends from the NFL to try to start doing this. Because that would be kind of fun, Pat. I would love to see more of this cross-sport type of action. You and I love Otani with the Angels doing two things in his sport and being very unique. It, it, it could it, it can be a lot of fun to spice things up and add uh, some different cross-sport inter- interaction every now and then. All right, let's have DK Metcalf go and race Medina Spirit, a la Chad Ochocinco going and racing <laughs> that horse that one time. I love it. Cross-sport collaboration. I'm all about it. Yeah, I mean, DK oh, Metcalf God. running at that. He didn't even come in last place either. That's the thing. Yeah. Give him any type of training, any type of just like months to get ahead. I wish that he would have had this opportunity like middle of COVID, right? When no one was doing anything. Too bad that the NFL, did, I mean, not too bad, but if the NFL were to have gotten canceled for whatever reason, it would have been insane to see DK just flip a switch. Well, he wouldn't have gotten the invite though, right? Because it was all oh, yeah. social media based off of the Twitter invite, which is, and it's that's the world we literally live in now right? where <laughs> dk metcalf goes and runs some guy down sunday night football and it gets an invite from an and that's an amazing idea it brought a great recognition to the sport whoever invited that guy whatever twitter intern or whatever digital media <laughs> specialist was running that account that night you're getting a nice little pool christmas bonus christmas vacation style 
little Clark Griswold right there. Shout out. <laughs> Colts get there. Grizz, Grizzly veteran. You like that, Pat? Grizzly Ooh. veteran at the left tackle position in Eric Fisher, bringing him in on a pretty penny type of deal, almost $10 million on a one-year commitment. He is going to be their left tackle likely once he returns from the Achilles tear. And that's the huge question here and kind of why I'm a little hesitant <laughs> to believe in this plan, Pat. You got Sam Tevai. I think that's a Tevai, Tevai, Tevi. Whatever. He, he's not very good. He's he's a backup level <laughs> of tackle. And that's who's going to be protecting Carson Wentz's blind side, who was sacked 50-plus times last year. He's a guy that lately, Pat, has not responded well to pressure, especially on the outside. So how, how are you feeling about this signing? It feels like the Colts are pretty much done building their team and ready to take advantage of a power vacuum in the uh, AFC South. We all know that... Arthur Smith had a huge hand in that Tennessee Titans offense. How is it going to contend you? Are they going to be able to keep that magic touch that he was able to have with play calling, especially his effect on Ryan Tannehill? That's a big question. And the other two teams, the Texans, they have a win total at three and a half right now, people, in a 17-game season. That is where the Texans are. I think it's four and a half. Whatever, it's four and a half, three and a half. It's, it's bad. It's four, three to four wins. And then the Jaguars, who I think are going to be better but aren't going to be competing this division so it's a huge year for the Colts especially Pat with Chris Ballard I give him a lot of credit but at some point your team building has to result in kind of it has to result in an AFC championship game if you're going to be getting all this high praise high love this is a make it or break it year for Chris Ballard 110 percent in my eyes right because if it sucks then that's bad what a shift <laughs> what a shift it went last year you know, we were all excited for the Colts. They had all this cap room. They built such a great roster behind it with Darius Leonard on the defense. They got Buckner in to solidify the defensive line. They had the best offensive line in all of football. And then they had all of this space, all of this free cap space that they get to be creative with at the quarterback position and other positions. That you know, Phil Rivers, I was not a fan of whatsoever. I said that I pounded my chest about that last year. Me and you went head to head on the old Philip Rivers uh, situation and experiment. Now it's, you move to Carson Wentz. And with, with a great team, a great roster, all that cap room, and the best that they were able to do was from Philip Rivers to Carson Wentz. And then they're getting Eric Fisher, who the Chiefs don't see as someone who's worthy of defending their franchise guy anymore. They basically said, we'd rather have zero offensive linemen on the entire team than to have an Eric Fisher with a torn Achilles. They roster, switched him out so. for what? Uh, Orlando Brown, right? Isn't that who? Who's, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think they did. Yeah. Yeah. So or, I or Brown, yeah. Brown, because Brown wanted to play left tackle in Baltimore. And that was the big issue of why he didn't want to stay there is because they already had, uh, I forget who the other, uh, he's such a good player too. I forget who the left tackle is on the other side, but he got hurt last year. He's really good in his own right. Wasn't going to be replaced by Orlando Brown. So yeah, continue about, sorry. Sorry. I just say it's make or break year for this Colts team. So they're putting, you know, they're the ball in the hands of Carson Wentz, who got exiled from Philadelphia and after, you know, a Super Bowl run of all sorts. So it's like, it is incredible the amount of chips that Chris Ballard has pushed into the side of Carson Wentz. And even this move to, to anchor one of the best offensive lines in a sense with Eric Fisher, bold move. It's a bold move. Versus even just trying to develop somebody, just going out and spending that money. I guess that money, it opens up again next year. So you might as well spend it this year. But 
I don't know. It's a make it or break a year for that brain trust over there in Indianapolis. I don't know how to feel about it. I don't know if it was going to be possible to feel worse about their situation after last year, considering, again, all that money that was going to be open for them to play with. I guess it's just hard to convince people to come play football in Indiana. Maybe that's what it all comes down to. But it's going to be a high-pressure year, I think, for Chris Ballard and those boys. And T.Y. Hilton, he returned to the Colts, right? He did. On a one-year deal. So I guess T.Y. is a decent weapon and threat, but – they don't have anybody that necessarily scares you or a, or a weapons group that really wows off the page. Jonathan Taylor, I guess, could be that guy if he keeps ascending like he has in his rookie year. That remains to be seen, though. But it's just a big gamble to take a risk like this on a on a guy coming off an Achilles tear. According to Dr. Mark Schwartz in a study done uh, back in 2012, um, the average recovery time is about 11 months, though people have said uh, around Eric Fisher that he's tracking to be ready in in the September area, whatever that means. So he could be back before the start of the season or the middle of the first month of the year. But uh, about 30% of guys don't return back to requisite form. And even if they do, it takes a lot, a lot of time, according to this study. So it's uh, it's it's very difficult for me to think that here it is right here that uh, Dr. Mark Schwartz said, quote, citing a study that Achilles tears ended the careers of one third of players who suffered the injury. The other two thirds see a decrease in performance. And it obviously is an average recovering time of 11 months. But I say all that and thinking 80 overall grade yesterday via PFF was a very struggling player, highly struggling player in his first couple of years, but turned it around and was the fulcrum and the linchpin of the protection behind Patrick Mahomes and when he didn't play Pat, the Chiefs were not good. They went 7-7 seven and seven in the 14 games that uh, Fisher missed throughout his regular season career with the Chiefs. With him, they went 82-30. and 30. And in Patrick Mahomes games in particular, they went 33-4 and four with Eric Fisher in the lineup and 5-4 and four without Eric Fisher and Patrick Mahomes at the helm. So this guy has affected winning with the Kansas City Chiefs, but it's just – it's it's kind of like we're going back to this first segment here where I didn't want to doubt the Lakers with a healthy LeBron James, but there's that health question mark sitting there for the Lakers and their, their uh, most important player. And I would say right now Eric Fisher is the second most important player on the Colts. If he plays at an all-pro, Pro Bowl type of level, protects Carson Wentz's blind side, makes him comfortable back there, and, um, and our, our guy uh, Frank Reich is able to work his magic, then they could win that division going away. But there's a lot of question marks hanging right there, especially when you're paying this guy the 12th highest cap hit of any tackle in the league this year, right in between uh, Nate Solder and Laramie Tunsil. So it is a pretty risky, sizable investment to be making on a guy coming off an Achilles tear, an injury that I would argue the ACL has gone down in intrepidation, but the Achilles is still that thing out there, especially for those big guys that makes you pause and say, hmm. I don't know if this guy can make that recovery like, say, a Jason Peters or a Brandon Brooks, who in those two Eagles cases, Jason Peters kind of ended up tailing off after two or three solid years following that injury. And then Brandon Brooks, things just started toppling like a house of cards, tore his own Achilles or tore his other Achilles after tearing his right Achilles a couple of years later. So that's the type of thing that can happen. These things start percolating down the body and you start having these issues start to pile up, especially if you're paying a guy almost $10 million. It's pretty steep. Just crossed that magic number of 30 years of age as well. And that you just mentioned it. 
almost the the sneaky worst thing about injuries, especially with the, like the knee or Achilles, is the underlying stress you put on other parts of your body, right? You, you lean more on that other side, which makes your other leg more susceptible to injury. You maybe not have the strength and all of the same muscles that you used to because of the rehab and whatnot. So it's definitely going to be something to look out for. I, I think that's a great point. Is he going to be playing on the left or right side? Has that been determined? He's going to be the left tackle. Yeah. Yeah. Because Braden Smith's the right tackle. So it's going to go, uh, it'll go Eric Fisher, Quentin Nelson left guard. So that could help Fisher, especially as he's coming yeah. back from that injury. They could use Quentin Nelson, maybe have him pick up a couple more chips, a couple more responsibilities in terms of protection along that line. Then Ryan Kelly, great center in his own right. He's yeah. a pro bowler. Um, and then uh, Braden Smith at right tackle. And I forget who the left or who the right guard is, but pretty, is he? that's why they have to bring in Fisher because Costanzo retired in January. Right. Okay. That's what I thought. Yeah. So, I mean, he's leaning on an incredibly strong offensive line too. So in all, in all ways that should help Eric Fisher in his return and getting his feet wet again and just being a productive part of that Indianapolis Colts team. Cause you just mentioned it with between Nelson and Kelly, like absolutely monsters uh, in the middle and left side of that line. So he's going to have all the help he needs to be, to be successful there, especially yeah, with a good running right game. Guard, Michael Lewinsky, the right guard there for the Indianapolis Colts who uh, had an okay year last year, 67.3 overall grade, basically the definition of average, but played a lot of snaps, sixth overall among uh, NFL guards and snaps played last year with 1,090, only three penalties allotted, two sacks allowed. So decent player at the right guard spot. There's a, it's, a, it's a good offensive line that he's going into, so I think that will help Pat, the fact that he can ease in a little bit more and not have to take on that huge responsibility that, say, a Laramie Tunsil had to take on last year with the Houston Texans where he was kind of the only man out there. And it was very clear. You can't build an offensive line like that. I mean, what he was doing for the chiefs, uh, the chiefs offensive line was pretty horrible, especially with the injuries they started to face by the end of last year. So he was anchoring what wasn't an elite offensive line before. So maybe going to a much more talented one will be uh, very helpful in his sort of late, late career renaissance that he's hoping to have as well. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. That does it. On this Monday edition of Riding 3 by 3 Pat, you got anything else to add as we roll out here in the last two minutes? I mean, we haven't talked about any Wade Miley no-hitter stuff. I mean, that was pretty cool, right? Let's go yes. with the fans. At yes. least we got a little bit of taste Big of country the giving the uh, ode to the, the Hulk tattoo that his kid gave. Yeah, that was great. He's very fun to watch, especially when he goes with the pace he does. Pretty much quick pitches everybody. It's what you love to see. I love to be a fan of it. Gets you in and out of the game. It's very exciting to watch. Ground no ball pitcher, too. Kind of a yeah. forgotten forgotten. Uh, type of strategy there. That was a lot of fun, man, to watch watch the Reds get their no-hitter. The uh, first left-handed no-hitter since Tom Browning for the Reds back in 1988, 17th no-hitter all-time, and my parents were actually at the last left-handed no-hitter by Mr. Tom Browning wow. back in 1988. So that was a little fun to share that info with them. Big shout-out to Wade. Thank you, Pat. Big shout-out to Wade Miley as we get out of here. Fantastic fun riding a 3x3 Monday edition. We touched on the NBA, NFL, and MLB, all the storylines percolating throughout those leagues. For Patrick Fetch, I'm Russ Heltman. We'll be back on Thursday to preview the rest of the final days of the NBA season and much, much more. Have a great week, everybody.